October 23rd, this hour of Flames Talk is underway, and Wes Gilbertson's back in the house after a long hiatus. Little uh, trip south of the border, little uh, golf trip, and you're welcomed home with beautiful October 23rd weather. What's I, going on? I was just going to say, as I look out the window, it might be time for another long <laughs> hiatus. Back, back to Nevada might be the way to go. I'll see you guys in April. Well... Maybe you can if if you can miss more road trips like the one you just missed. You might uh, you might be onto something. Uh, this hour of Flames Talks underway. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we'll definitely get into the somewhat disastrous end to that five game road trip a little bit later on this hour as the Daily Flames Roundtable. We'll take up the second half of this hour of Flames Talk. But let's talk Noah Hannafin to kick it off because Elliot shocked us all over the weekend. So. I was watching that headline segment live, and in comes Elliot, and first thing he's got is movement with Noah Hannafin and the Calgary Flames. I said to myself, okay, that's news I was not expecting, and at no point do you ever question, if Elliot goes with something on national television, you don't question it. It was just like, oh my goodness, I, that uh, last I heard was that the door was definitely open and maybe more open with him returning to Calgary in September than maybe it was over the summer or maybe it was in April, but I'd kind of been like, yeah, doors open, but not a whole lot going on. Then boom, there's Elliot saying significant progress has been made and, and optimism levels are high. And it, it sure does feel like we're going to hear from him in just a second, Wes, but it sure does feel like something has changed in the last little bit and and something has gotten it from door open to let's uh let's find a way to make sure we walk through this door yeah and the best that i can gauge it is is that maybe the optimism started to build over the past few weeks it, it, just maybe shortly before the the home opener against the winnipeg jets you sensed a real shift in in what the thinking was on noah hannafin what what maybe the sense of optimism about keeping them happen to be listen and I know we'll get into this it makes a ton of sense at least from my vantage point that the Calgary Flames would want to keep this player yep. under contract yep I think they were almost resigned to the fact that it wasn't going to happen well they, they I they tried to move they really this summer they really explored that trade market and I'm not sure a couple times that they weren't even close to potentially agreeing to a deal it never got done, and now fast forward, it feels like the Flames certainly have circled back in terms of wanting to keep him. Noah Hannafin has certainly opened the door, and we're going to hear in a second from from Noah after an optional skate today. What we didn't hear is, oh, no, that that's wrong, or I think that report might be a, a little bit premature. Like, this sounded like something. Noah Hannafin wasn't necessarily confirming it's all but done, but... Reading between the lines, it yeah. sure sounded that way to me. Um, okay, so this is Elliot Friedman on the latest 32 Thoughts. And and so here's what we know. Over the summer, the Flames explored a trade. 
over the summer. I, I think there were de- there is definitely some interest, and and I believe the Flames got some offers, not offers they were willing to pull the trigger on, but they got some offers, and there was definitely some conversation out there. Obviously, nothing gets done. As you said, everybody comes back to Calgary. Optimism levels higher. Michael Backlund signs, and here's a here's the captaincy for Michael. And now all of a sudden, knocking on the door for a Noah Hannafin extension as well. Elliot addresses all of it. This is on the latest 32 Thoughts podcast. It's a, it's a longer Elliot soliloquy, but there's a lot in here. If you missed it on the latest 32 Thoughts, this is EF on where things sit with Noah Hannafin right now. I think it's more now than some movement. Uh, judging from the reaction I got after that aired, I think it would be a surprise if it didn't happen. Now, I don't know the exact timeline, but I'm always careful, as you know, about language because then it turns into something viral that I didn't intend it to mean. Like I've had people say optimism. I've had people say progress. I had one guy say to me today that there was a breakthrough (laughs) uh, and it's going to get done. But put it this way, I think the best way to put it is it's going to be a surprise if it doesn't happen. And we should say that this is a big, big victory for the Flames because Hannafin, you'll remember when there was all that talk about all the guys that wouldn't stay. Well, they've got Backlund signed. And now now Hannafin was the one guy in the summer. And I reported on this pod that Hannafin had indicated he wanted to go back to the United States. And no one argued with me. No one. Normally, if I have something wrong on the pod, I'll get at least one phone call about it. Something like that. Someone will call me and say, you are wrong. Fix this. And not a single person did because at the time that was what was conveyed. Now, you know, ultimately Hannafin at some point in time will give us a better indication of what changed his mind. Number one, I think it's time. Um, You know, obviously he's seen things in Calgary that he likes. I do think, Jeff, as you and I have talked about, there are players who are nervous out there. The way the cap has gone the last couple of years, the market's been very tight. I think there are players who say that if the money's there and you're happy in your situation, it's much harder now until the cap really starts going up a couple times. It's harder now to say no. And uh, ultimately, I don't want to put words in Hannafin's mouth. He'll tell us. But like I said, it would be a surprise by now if it doesn't happen. So there's a lot there and, and a few things, not like Elliot needs corroboration, but a few things that just check it in and, and that, that I've, I've kind of that have been conveyed to me is that, yeah, definitely there has been significant movement here over the last little bit and that maybe the optimism levels started getting higher as everybody got back and, and really over the last little bit have, have taken an even larger step. And the intel that we got over the summer was not wrong. Like what we were talking about, about him wanting to play south of the border and the Flames exploring a trade and him maybe being the least certain guy to return, that was all accurate too. And that was where things were in the summertime and now things have changed. It's a it's a fascinating shift that we've got here, but you know there's that that's that's kind of what has been conveyed to me. You hear that from Elliot on Thirty Two Thoughts. It's kind of going down the same road of 
Yeah, things have changed here in the last little bit. And now all of a sudden, as Elliot says, it would be a surprise if we don't see a Noah Hannafin contract. And I, I've applauded Craig Conroy's patience on the UFAs before. And, and I, I'll repeat myself today because I know he didn't, there wasn't a, a ton of push when, when Noah Hannafin first indicated that he wasn't interested in, in even negotiating at that point, that he either wanted to see where things went or, or potentially, you know, wanted to head south. I, I, I think the Flames just sort of let that simmer for a while. And obviously things have changed, I would say, on both sides. There There is more of a willingness now than there was even when we were chatting with Noah Hannafin at, at the golf tournament to get this done in Calgary. There, there certainly is more of an appetite on his side of the equation to get this deal done. And I do have to believe that the fact that Oliver Shillington is currently not available to this team for a second straight season or, or to start yeah. a second straight season sort of changes things for the flames too. If, if there was another guy on the left side of the blue line that they believed had the chops to eventually replace Noah Hannafin as the top pairing guy on the left side. I think it was Oliver Shillington and the uncertainty that surrounds Oliver's status at this point, I'm sure helped push the flames to, to really be more aggressive in their negotiations with Noah as well. Now, if you were expecting Noah Hannafin to come out on Monday following an optional practice and tell us, Hey guys, uh, so I've signed, it's an eight-year deal um, and uh, eight times seven and a half. Uh, so the, uh, the the salary breakdown will go like this. Uh, my signing bonuses are this. I've got a full no-move clause for the first four years. No, no, no. There is, there is none of that when Noah spoke with us on Monday after practice. But uh, we did speak with Noah Hannafin. And the one thing that you'll hear here is that I, I don't think you're hearing him pour any cold water on it. And he's not, he's not being forthcoming with, it'll be done tomorrow or we're just waiting to put pen to paper. But as we're about to hear him, he, there's not a whole lot of, no, this is false. Right. You know, he did not look at the weather forecast for tonight and change his mind. Exactly. Which is probably good. Yeah. You know, I might've. This, this never happens. What what's happening outside on Monday. <laughs> that, that never happens. Never happens. Especially in October. Here's uh, Noah Hannafin from Monday at the Scotiabank Saddledome. All right, Elliot Friedman, report of this this weekend that you and the Flames are, are getting closer to a, a contract extension. Anything you could tell us about that? Um, yeah, I'd say probably nothing new to report right now. Um, you know, my agent's been uh, obviously in discussions throughout the beginning of the year with with you know management and Connie and those guys. So. For me right now, it's just trying to you know stay focused on the game and letting them handle it. But um, yeah, they're definitely having discussions, and uh, you know when there's news to report, I'll, I'll let you guys know. No, but when we talked to you at the golf tournament, you kind of were wait and see. Like I want to see how things go here. So the fact that there are discussions happening has your, I guess, willingness to stay in Calgary changed at all? Yeah, I mean, I, I've always, like I said, you know, earlier in the year, I mean, I've always you know, enjoy my time playing Calgary. I love it here. It's been great. You know, it's just, uh, like I said, you know, sometimes um, being patient with things helps and just kind of give yourself some time to think about the process and what you want to do. And, but for me, I've always, you know, I've always loved Calgary and, you know, I'm happy that, you know, there are discussions happening. What's, what makes Calgary or the Flames organization a place that you're, you're open to committing long-term to? Um, I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, it's a, it's a great place to play hockey for one thing. You know, fans here are unbelievable. It's a, it's a, it's exciting coming to the rink every day with with the 
with the fans and the people and how passionate they are. And it's a great group of guys in the organization. And, you know, from the trainers to management, coaches, players, you know, everybody, they're just, there's a lot of great people here. And um, that's what makes it a special place. And you being an American guy, and sometimes maybe it's not the easiest for Canadian teams to get Americans to, to commit here long term. So, like, you've obviously felt that comfort here, even though you're not. not yeah, I mean, I, I've been here for, for, this is my sixth year here now, and I've, I've loved him. I've, I've always been so comfortable here. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a privilege just to play hockey in the NHL. And no matter where it is, I don't think that should really impact guys too, too much. And, you know, for me, it's, uh, you know, my family loves it. My parents come out here all the time. They love coming out and visiting. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I've, I've had nothing but good things to say about playing in Calgary. Some guys don't like to have contract negotiations going on during the season. Does that bother you at all? Is it something that, that really impacts you? Honestly, for me, I think before a season, I just try making it clear, you know, I just want to just play hockey and let them, if something important happens, they can come to me and talk to me about it. But I've been trying to keep my, my, my nose out of it all and letting them handle the, the business side of it and just focusing on hockey. I think for any player, when you come into a contract year, it's always on your mind a little bit and it, it can be, uh, you know, sometimes there's pressure or whatnot. But for me, it's just, you know, it's it's an important year just for the team just to bounce back after last year and it's always been about that for me and coming out and just playing hockey and having fun and and uh and that's where my focus has been you at. see elliot report today i see me like all right i guess we'll have to talk to the media yeah. about this a little bit yeah. <laughs> no yeah it's it's part of it and i i mean i knew uh few the, i actually didn't even know if you the guys had mentioned it to me so yeah it's it is what it is and um you know it's part of it i, I expected something like that to happen at some point so just just uh, dealing with it and, and trying to play and, and have a good game tomorrow and, and get back on the on the winning path and that's where my focus is at. How much how much did Michael signing initially here like how much does that impact a guy kind of in his own contract situation? Yeah, I mean I, I mean I definitely does nothing but help. I think you know Bax is uh, you know, he's a great teammate. I played with him for a long time now and and he's you know so deserving of, of being a captain here and. Um, you know, I'm happy for him, and, and uh, yeah, he's a he's a great guy to, to have be in the locker room and have that leadership is, is huge. So there's Noah Hannafin, and just reading between the lines, there is no dousing of cold water, uh, dousing of the fire with cold water, by the way, um, is what I meant to say. On top of that, I don't think the Flames PR staff is rolling out Noah Hannafin to talk about a contract like that if there's not some movement like that 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 just this thing is moving in the direction to an extension being signed will it be done by the end of the week will it be done by the end of the month will he be under contract for the heritage classic i we don't know but it's moving in the right direction and i think that what you heard from elliot followed by what you heard from the player himself it it's hard to not feel like it's moving in the right direction because it clearly is right now yeah and I, I saw some replies out there today oh well he's talking about how much he loves Calgary and that's exactly what we heard from Johnny Gaudreau and that's exactly what we heard from Matthew Kachuk and and you're right that is what we heard from those players but I, I think the timing of this is different this this felt to me like a guy confirming that he was close to a contract extension, not willing to totally let the cat out of the bag, but there was no, you know, there was no discomfort in in Noah Hannafin. There was no trying to, you can tell by a guy's body language sometimes when he's trying to sort of get around a subject or change the subject or, or, you know, would rather be anywhere else except having that conversation. This was a guy who was very comfortable 
today and who I think you're going to hear very soon saying a whole lot of the same things, except, you know, with a, a signature and a dollar figure attached to it. Yep. Well, and I think you heard Elliot say this is a, a win for the Flames. I think some agree with that. Some disagree with that. I think it's a, I personally think it's a pleasant, positive development for the team. I do. I think it's something that um, moves what was um, a dilemma or a difficult situation in a positive direction. And I've said from, you know, going back to the beginning of training camp when it felt like there was actually a door open and it wasn't slammed shut with this player. I know that I've felt and, and have conveyed a couple times on this program that of all the guys that make sense to re-sign to a long-term contract, a 26-year-old defenseman with 600-plus NHL games and a guy that can give you 22 to 23 minutes a night probably makes the most sense. Now, obviously, makes the most sense we have to know what that dollar figure looks like. And there's probably an extent or there's definitely an extent where that dollar figure makes less sense and you don't feel as good about the contract, but just theoretically or talking about it generally, the he's the youngest of all these pending UFAs. He is the guy that still has the most opportunity to develop and, and to still improve. Like I think Lindholm is what he is. And Tanev is clearly what he is. And Zadorov probably is what he is. And I don't count Shillington just because of the 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 kind of um, unique circumstances that go along with this whole thing. But Noah Hannafin, there's still feel and there's still hope that there could be a few more steps taken career-wise. So I know that you are somewhat of the same mind that of all the names that were potentially there to re-sign the youngest of the group, tends to make the most sense here. Yeah, I think the reason that Noah Hannafin maybe slid down the priority list was just the report in the summer that he wasn't interested in staying. I I think if that hadn't floated out there in the summer, we'd be talking about a guy who was maybe at the top of the priority list anyways. You know, when I look and, and Ryan Huska talked today about the fact that he thinks there's still room for growth in Noah Hannafin's game, even if there isn't, this is a 26-year-old defenseman. There's no, there's no guesswork about what Noah Hannafin is. Can he quarterback a power play unit? Yeah, we've seen it. Can he log tons of minutes? Yeah, we've seen it. At his size, is he going to be a guy who gets muscled off the puck really easily? No, we, we know that. We know that about Noah Hannafin. He's got 600 games of experience. He's durable. He's missed. Do you know how many games he's missed in six seasons with the flames. I think it's 13 and nine of that was in one chunk. Like yep. this is a guy who got to 600 games on a rocket ship because he's been durable and he basically has the tools that you're looking for in a modern defenseman, right? His skating is going to help him age as gracefully as anybody on the flames roster. And so I know, and, and let me address this. I know there is a, uh, faction of the fan base i know there's people out there we're hearing from some of them on the text line who are going to say why are you rushing to re-sign all of your core pieces when there's been no history of success with these guys and absolutely that's a fair argument if you're yelling that at the radio or at the podcast or right now 
I totally understand it. But I think what it boils down to in the case of Noah Hannafin, a top pairing defenseman, is the alternative that we've seen here in Calgary, where you're still dealing with aging facilities for several more years, where you're still dealing with snowstorms at the end of October. The alternative is overpaying someone on the free agent market. You think you're going to get a replacement for Noah Hannafin some other way and end up paying less for it? Absolutely not. And that's what turns it for me. Yes, you haven't had success with this core and something needs to change. There needs to be that infusion of youth. You, you've got to figure out how to get more oomph out of your high paid forwards. There's a whole lot of things that need to happen here. But this one piece of business, keeping a 26-year-old defenseman who's already a top pairing guy in the NHL, it just makes a ton of sense. So Hannafin's a guy that, what, his career high is 48 in terms of points. I think he's a guy that can get you 40 to 50 points a year when when he is playing a full season and playing well. He's got four and six to start this year. There will, I think, always be some defensive lapses, and there will always be some uh, risky, risky reads made that can end up biting the team. I think ideally he, and while he has played plenty of top pairing minutes, I think ideally he's probably a two, three guy in the NHL. What does that ideal contract look like if you're signing him to a seven or eight year deal? He's, he's been on a sweetheart deal the last few years under 5 million, just under 5 million without even playing a game for the team. He signed that deal after the Carolina trade. He'll be 27 in January, so his contract would kick in mid-27. So he'd be 34, 35 when the contract comes to an end, which I think for a good skating defenseman you can probably live with. What should that contract look like? Is it is is seven, seven and a half? Is that a, a ballpark that we should be looking at? Is there a way they can get it lower than that? Like, what does an eight-year deal, knowing that you're buying all UFA years, what does that look like? for a guy who's getting to UFA at the age of 27, which not a lot of guys do. Ideally, you'd love to sort of replicate Mackenzie Weger's contract for me. And, and there's a lot of similarities there. There's been a lot of similarities in in usage in, in terms of sort of total minutes played. In, in Calgary, Mackenzie obviously signs an eight-year extension worth 6.25 per season. I think... The, the sort of upper echelon or, or the, the upper end of this contract, at least from my vantage point, was defined when Devin Taves re-signed in, in Colorado. And I know that's a team that has some cap constraints that he might have been taking a bit of a discount because of their contender status. But he signed for an AAV of 7.25. Over seven years. Yes. Yeah. And for my money, he is perhaps the best number two defenseman in the NHL right now. So is that the cap for you? Seven, two, five. I feel like that becomes the absolute cap for a number two defenseman in, in terms of the going rate early this season. And so if you can get somewhere between Mackenzie Weger and the Taves deal, I think that's what I'm looking at. You'd love for it to start with a six, especially if you're going eight years but I think you're going to be pushing pretty close to seven. Well, and the interesting one here is that because he's still young, 
how much premium are you paying when it comes to the UFA years? When you're signing guys in their mid-20s, like 24, 25, and you're buying X amount of UFA years on top of RFA years, it's a different conversation as opposed to this one, which is kind of in the middle. And then you've got the unrestricted free agents that they're UFAs. So the the type of money you're spending and the different premiums feel a little bit different too. So could you get him for eight times six and a half? Could you get him for eight times seven? That's only a raise of between a million and a half and $2 million per year for a guy that's given you good minutes mm-hmm. and who's been really good value at 4.9 or whatever, 4.95, whatever he's at and has been on this most recent contract. That to me seems like over a seven or eight year term seems like a reasonable ballpark to be in. And I don't think that would be super detrimental to the team, especially because compared to the Uyghur extension, they have the Huberdo extension and the Kadri signing. All those guys are straddling 30 when they kick in their contracts, right? 30 or just under 30. That won't be the case. Like you'll still be getting three years before you even hit 30 on a contract for Noah Hannafin. So I think it does change the paradigm at least a little bit. Well, and where you have to be careful with this dollar figure, in addition to just obviously how it fits under your salary cap ceiling is that, after the 25-26 season, Rasmus Anderson's going to need a new contract. And you want your cap on defensemen to not be super high at that point because you know, you're going to have to pay Rasmus Anderson. If he continues to trend the way he has, I, I think he's already undisputedly Calgary's best defenseman. And so he's going to get more than Noah Hannafin on his next deal. And that's why you, you'd love for Noah Hannafin's number to not be too high. Yeah. Because you know, you've got a guy vaulting past it. Let's read a few texts. Nine sixty nine sixty. Uh Dylan in Revy says, why do we care about minutes and age when he's an insanely average NHL player? Who's likely asking for too much money. This extension is going to be a large mistake unless it's under six and a half mil. You really think 600 games isn't enough of a sample size to say he is what he is. He's not going to get better. Just keep throwing long-term contracts at average players. FFS, we know what that means. His skating isn't elite. It's slightly above average at best. Well, that's just false. (laughs) Dylan, you got a little carried away at the end there. He is a very, very high-end skater, like top echelon NHL skater. That much is... Very true. I, I understand the, the rest of the sentiment. I just think, you know, you go look at, at who's going to be a UFA on the left side of the blue line. And and I don't mean here in Calgary. I, I mean elsewhere around the league. Like, there's not a guy you'd rather have. You're not, half of them I can't pronounce their last names. But, you know, Gustav Forsling, you don't want him more than you want Noah Hannafin. Right. Shane Gostaspierre, you don't want him more than you want Noah Hannafin. I think... I understand the frustration with extending a bunch of guys who have been part of a team that hasn't won. I just feel like this one makes sense. Uh, Tyler and Boness says, uh, guys love the show, grew up watching the Flames, so I'm really trying hard not to come across negative in this comment question. I also realize this is Flames talk, not Flame bashing or Flame shame. Uh, You have an obligation to put a positive spin on the Flames, totally respect that. But watching Hannafin's performance lately, is it possible Noah and his agent shopped the open market a bit, put put out a couple feelers, as it were, and found no one was biting 
or even close to the number he figures he's worth, so settled on staying with the Flames. And could this possibly translate into a very lazy, uninterested player on the ice moving forward? That's my fear, and I'd have much preferred the Flames made a trade down the road instead. I will say, yes, I do think there's a possibility. I'm not I'm not as much worried about the lazy, uninterested player. I'm more I, I do think there's a possibility that agent and player looked at the landscape, looked at how little the cap has gone up, and even knowing the cap will go up more this coming summer, will it go up enough for Hannafin to get this huge home run? Will he be able to get a dollar figure on the open market that would compare to what an eight-year deal would be in Calgary? Um and and I also Truly believe the Mark Shifley, Connor Hellebuck situation in Winnipeg made an impact with a lot of players around the league. And I think that there's a little bit of that going on too. So do I think there's a possibility? Yeah, I do that. They went out and said, "Eh, maybe the, maybe what we thought we were going to get a year or two ago, maybe it actually isn't there for us on the open market. Here's one. I I don't know the answer to And I'll kind of throw this at you. Is it possible because this doesn't, need to be Noah Hannafin's home run contract that we're talking about less than seven or eight years. And I say that in the sense of, you know, this is a guy who there's been some belief he'd want to play closer to his family in Boston. There was some belief after seeing two of his best friends in the sport, Matthew Kachuk and and Jack Eichel loving life in a Sunbelt destination that it wasn't actually about going home to Boston that he might be interested in going somewhere that uh, had a little, a little bit warmer winter. I I wonder, and my best guess is that this winds up being a seven or an eight year deal. But it, if there's still optimism that the cap is going to skyrocket at some point, maybe he goes shorter. I wonder if he goes a little shorter. I think that would be, I think you'd be pretty happy with that if you're the Flames, if he's cool to go shorter. He is still young. Right. And, you know, maybe could find himself in a situation in four years where unrestricted free agency, he's 31 years old, and there's a team willing to give him a big-time four-year deal. So now you're looking at, okay, if he signs an eight at this or two fours, your agent's looking at what's the biggest overall number. Right. And I still think think it probably gets done as eight. I just... In all these conversations, you know, Elias Lindholm going back to whoever you're talking about for a player of a certain age range, you always assume the target is eight. Yeah. Probably is with Noah Hannafin, but I'm I'm curious, you know, could you could you look at a potentially reduced term there? I've had enough off the record conversations with agents that, you know, that's a big thing that when they look at things they're like, okay, if we go eight now or we look at a four and four, four years here, and then you hit UFA and maybe sign a four or five, what's going to be the bigger all-round earnings? No doubt about that would be in the uh, in, in the front of the mind. A couple of others, um, just to kind of give you a uh, um, a yin, yin and a yang. Uh, this from Jeff. What a pleasant surprise that Noah's looking at staying aflame. That's awesome. Great player. Always loved his attitude and can't believe he's only 26. Um, and then this says, if they seriously extend Hannafin, it's an indictment on the organization, an organization that's always content on being mid, mediocre, etc. And they only keep prolonging what we think they should but won't do. If they continue to keep the same gang together, except, expect more of the same and nothing different. That's from a different Noah. I don't think that's Noah Hannafin texting. Um, that's from a different Noah. But that's just a uh, yin and a yang in terms of uh, some thoughts on this conversation as well. It It's going to be fascinating what 
that number looks like, you know, the, the details are always what you're judging an extension on. What's the term? What's the dollar number? And in terms of timing, I, I think it's going to be a rough stretch for Noah Hannafin in these next three games without Rasmus Anderson. He does rely heavily on the sort of stability that his partner brings to that top pairing. But all the indications are this is going to get done and it's going to get done soon. Wes Gilbertson, Pat Steinberg, underway this hour on Flames Talk from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basement Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. Flames Talk is live on Calgary's hockey station. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Monday edition of the Daily Flames Roundtable now brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Get the chance to drive a brand new GLC 300 with zero down for $1,099 a month. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills minutes from the Calgary Airport. Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson, another voice of the Calgary Flames. Derek Wills joins us to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable. Gents, let's start with Rasmus Anderson. On Saturday was suspended four games for his hit as time expired in Friday's 3-1 loss in Columbus. He caught Patrick Liney of the Blue Jackets up high, was assessed an elbowing major on the play, but obviously it was as time expired, so it didn't really matter. It was suspended four games the following day, and a few hours later we found out the Flames were planning to go through the appeal process. Um, Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic reporting that appeal happened on this Monday. So we should find out in the next day or two if there's going to be a reduction of this suspension or not. Um, He served one game of a four-game suspension. Will it end up being a four-game suspension is the question now. Uh, Gents, what do we think of the idea to appeal this one from Rasmus Anderson? Well, I think it's a good idea to appeal it. Uh, I don't think they're going to extend the suspension. He's a first-time offender, uh, and I think there is a chance they could reduce the suspension. And the fewer games you have to play without your number one defenseman, the better off you're going to be if you're the Flames. And selfishly for Rasmus, I hope that they reduce it to three games or fewer because that would give him an opportunity to play for the Flames against the Oilers at the Heritage Classic next Sunday. But I don't think there's uh, any downside to appealing the suspension. So I think it was a good idea by the NHLPA and Anderson and the Flames to do that. Yeah, I guess it doesn't hurt. I I would be very surprised if, if League Commissioner Gary Bettman, who overhears, sorry, oversees or, or hears the yeah. appeal, I'd be really surprised, guys, if this one gets reduced. I think today's news out of Columbus that Patrick Line is on injured reserve. The fact he's not going to play for the rest of this week, eligible to return Friday, I think that's probably another knock against Rasmus Anderson. I, I understand. I I was surprised. I'll I'll, I'll start with, with the that. Initial I was number. very surprised yeah. that it was four. That caught me off guard. I you know Pat and I were texting back and forth a little bit and thinking maybe one or two and and Yet, as I think about it more, it's pretty clear that the NHL and the Department of Player Safety are trying to send a message that if you want to go headhunting in the last two or three seconds of a game that's over, we're going to throw the book at you. That That's, from my vantage point, the message is clearly this game was over. 
This hit was unnecessary. It just didn't need to happen. And for that reason, while I think it's a shame that Rasmus Anderson is going to miss the outdoor game on Sunday, while I think it's a shame that he won't be on the ice with his Flames teammates at Commonwealth Stadium, that was not a good hit. That was a predatory hit, and I just can't see them reducing it. It's, uh, I, I don't know if I, 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 I honestly don't have a feel, guys, as to what the league's going to do. Um, I, I do, it is rarer than not rare that the commissioner would overturn a suspension that his, like he oversees the Department of Player Safety, and while he doesn't directly administer it, it's still a department of his league, and very rarely is Gary going to undermine his his groups and, and his department. So you know, we don't usually see the commissioner reduce a suspension. Um, I understand where the Flames and, and Rasmus are coming from, saying that you know this, uh, this hit got this and this hot hit got that. I, I firmly do believe the game circumstance is a big reason why the league was like, this was unnecessary and you didn't need to do this. And we don't like to see these things just because you're frustrated about the way a game ends. And I think that's a big reason why it was as steep as it was. I was also surprised at four games. I thought it was going to be yeah. two or three. I thought whatever they were going to do, they would add one because it came at the end of a game. So I thought if it was a one game, they'd make it two. Or if they felt it was two games, they'd make it three. So I was definitely surprised at four. I think there's no harm in appealing it. I really, I, I get that um, both the organization and the player think that it's too long, and I understand that. Uh, and here is the biggest overarching thing for me. We know that the Department of Player Safety does not have the most consistent criteria as to what constitutes this suspension, this fine, or this supplemental discipline. And so... The problem is Rasmus put himself in that spot. It was a frustration play. It was an ill-advised hit that he did not need to make. There was zero reason to send uh, to to send a message. There was zero reason to to do what he did. And so whether West thinks it's two games or Derek thinks it's two games or I think it's one game or whatever, you put yourself in a situation where you let the inconsistencies of the Department of Player Safety decide your fate. So I guess the biggest message in this is just you know, try not to put yourself in their crosshairs because you have yeah. no idea what they're going to do. So guys, long story short, I have no idea what they're going to do. I have no idea what they're uh, going to, what they're going to decide or what the commissioner is going to decide, but he did put himself in this situation. It's kind of like coaches challenges. <laughs> when you're dealing True. with the department of player safety, it's not black or white, it's gray. And everybody sees things differently. So my issue with it, and I'll say this, I agree with you guys. I didn't like the hit at all. It was completely unnecessary. One of the things that I love about Rasmus Anderson as a player is that he's fiery, but he crossed the line. And I'm guessing he was frustrated with the way that the season started in some ways, with the way that game against the Blue Jackets went. But for him to do that at the end of that game, I just... He hurt himself and he hurt his team because they're better with him. And maybe the punishment will be that uh, he doesn't get to take part in what would be a very memorable experience for him playing in another outdoor game in the Heritage Classic on Sunday. But we'll have to wait and see. But with all of that said, I'm with you guys that I think for a guy 
who doesn't have a history of being a headhunter, who doesn't have a suspension history, to go from zero to four, it, it just feels like a lot. We're not talking about Tom Wilson here. We're talking about Rasmus Anderson, who's a, a really good player and, you know, for the most part, plays the game the right way. So I'd like to see them reduce it to, to two games or to three games. I think there's a way better chance they reduce it to three than two. And, and that's not because that would give Anderson an opportunity to play in the Heritage Classic. That's just the way it lines up. They gave him four games. He served his first one versus the Red Wings yesterday. Could serve a second one against the Rangers tomorrow. And then you go from there. But, yeah, it uh, it was a blow for the Flames. They were 1-1-1 one, one, and one in three games without Rasmus Anderson last season. They're 0-1-1 so far this season. And uh, hopefully they get him back sooner than uh, we think they're going to at this point. We'll see how it goes with the DOPS. Uh, I'll just add, when we talk about the inconsistencies of the judgments that come down from player safety, you can bet that Rasmus Anderson, with the support of the NHLPA and his agent, Claude Lemieux, and the Calgary Flames, you can bet he stayed up late finishing his PowerPoint presentation on what he <laughs> thinks are similar hits that garnered shorter suspensions. And basically what he's hoping for and, and what in turn the Flames are hoping for in this appeal is to... Show Gary Bettman, yeah, you know what? This hit was not good, but it was the same as this one that got two games, and it was the same as this one that got three, and maybe it was the same as this one that didn't get anything, and that's going to be their argument. I'm not sure it's yeah. going to work, but when we talk about the inconsistencies, that's what was happening in that meeting with Gary Bettman. Yeah, and my concern would be that Gary Bettman, as the commissioner of the National Hockey League, has usually had the back of the Department yeah. of Player Sa Safety and the officials. Yeah. And that's what a good boss does. But I do think because the Flames are going to be able to show video evidence of similar hits that got shorter suspensions and, and maybe similar hits from guys with a history that got the same suspension, that he, he might consider uh, reducing it from four to three or maybe even to two. I do think there's a chance. So uh, fingers crossed. And, Did, and I hope Patrick Laine can come back sooner rather than later. And the fact that he's on IR probably doesn't help the Flames. Yes. He's uh, eligible, eligible to return at earliest on Friday. Uh, it's the daily flames round table, Derek Wells, Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. Um, Look, a lot of uh, that, that was a negative Flames talk post game on Sunday. Quite negative. The text line, a couple of the calls. Uh, you know, there's there is plenty of it, and I get it. There is uh, the, the six game start to the year, not sexy. The way last year ended, obviously miserable. And here they are off to a two three and one start, and they finished the road trip with two pretty frustrating losses: one in Columbus, and then obviously a six two loss in Detroit. They go one three and one on that road trip, so they get three of a possible ten points. Lots of negativity coming off that road trip, which I fully understand. But is there anything that gives you optimism as the Flames come back home after those five games? Well, we saw in the first five games of the season, and I would include that loss versus the Blue Jackets, because the Flames had plenty of chances to score in that game, but could only put the puck in the net once. For me, that was about a lack of finish, more than a lack of effort, I guess execution was an issue, but not as big a, an issue as it was against the Red Wings. They, th their execution yesterday was awful. <laughs> it, 
in pretty much every way. So I, I don't think they can be any worse than they were in the final game of their season-long five-game, 10-day road trip. So that would be uh, certainly one of the things that would give me optimism moving forward. But I think we saw in parts of the first five games of the season what this team can be. The Red Wings played incredibly fast on Sunday afternoon. The Flames are going to have to pick up their pace, but they've done that at times this season. They did that against a pretty quick team in the Sabres in their 4-3 win last week. So I think they have it in them. I also think that there are a number of players who have yet to play to their potential, certainly not consistently. And at the top of that list would probably be Nazem Kadri. He's had his moments, but guys, quite frankly, after what I saw in the preseason, when you could argue he was as good as any member of the Flames in the games that he played in, I thought, well, Kadri's back. This is the guy that we saw prior to the All-Star break last season, but it, it's been a tough start to the regular season for him. So I think he's going to get better at some point, and he's going to help them win hockey games. And, and he's not the only one. I, I just think he's the best example of uh, a player who has a lot more to give than what we've seen in the first six games of the season. I get worried about a team when they play their best or close to their best and they don't look good and they don't win. But when a team, and breaking it down even further, when individuals don't do that and you know that individually and collectively there's a lot more to give, then uh, I'm not going to hit the panic button, at least not yet. My biggest reason for optimism wears number 25. I think yeah. it, it's been a really strong start to the season for Jacob Markstrom. I certainly think he's deserving of more than one victory. He was the best of the Flames by a country mile on Friday in Columbus. And, and so as I look for reasons to be optimistic of, about this team, the biggest one is that their number one goaltender to me, certainly looks like he's up to the challenge. And and then the other, I guess, I don't know if this is a reason for optimism or just a reminder, but there's a lot of hockey season left. You're going to have a few games like yesterday where there's a pretty big dark cloud following the team around after, and, and it's easy to be down on a team when they lose back-to-back -back games to end a road trip to teams that haven't been great in recent years, even though it sure, sure feels like the Red Wings are on the rebound. It, it's easy to be pessimistic when your two highest paid forwards play as horribly as they did yesterday and on and on and on. There's just a lot of hockey left to be played. If we see these same recurring issues for the next month, I think there is reason for concern, but you can flip that around today and say one of the reasons for optimism is there's a lot of road ahead here. Yeah. And the, the biggest thing that I come away with is, and, and I'll just echo Wes. I, I do think, I don't know if um, I am convinced. I know that I was singing some praises at Jonathan Huberdeau last week. I did not like his game Friday and I certainly didn't like it on Sunday. So still work in progress on the Huberdeau front. Um, but the guy that needed the biggest bounce back was Jacob Markstrom. And much like it's early in terms of, hey, don't panic, it's also early in terms of declaring somebody ready to bounce back. But Jacob's been very encouraging, and, and his numbers are okay. Uh, there's one game against Pittsburgh that kind of sinks those numbers, and I don't really think that what happened against the Penguins in the third period was was chiefly on him. So I look at this and I say, 
Yeah, I think Jacob Markstrom has shown us a lot of encouraging signs. And if this team is going to get back to the playoffs or be close to making the playoffs, it's going to be on his shoulders, I think, as much as anyone else. So short and sweet, but I'm with you, Wes. That, that's the biggest area of optimism that I see so far. Yeah, and quickly, a couple of other things. We have to keep in mind that the Flames have a new general manager, a new head coach, a couple of new assistant coaches, a bunch of new players, and a new way of playing in the defensive zone. And guys, for me, that's been their biggest issue so far this season. they got to sort the D zone out. I mean, they're making too many mistakes in the defensive zone right now. And I think once they become more comfortable playing this zone system as opposed to the man-on-man that they played for the last couple of seasons under Daryl Sutter. I think that they're going to settle down in the defensive zone, and that's going to lead to some good things at at that end of the ice and at the other end of the ice as well. And then I'll, I'll leave you with this because I was really surprised when I heard Elliot Friedman say on Saturday headlines that the Flames and Noah Hannafin's camp were making progress on a long-term extension. I know that X's and O's, they've got to figure some things out. And to your point, it's still really early in the season, Wes. And I think the Flames are going to get there. But I think the guys are having fun coming to the rink again. I really do. Michael Backlund's already signed an extension. And that was a good first piece. And now Noah Hannafin, who none of us thought was willing to sign an extension in the summer or even when training camp started, it, it sounds like that's headed in the right direction. I still think they're going to get Elias Lindholm done. So I think the fact that the guys are enjoying coming to work again, and yes, they enjoy it more when they win than when they lose, I think that's reason for optimism as well. Uh, good stuff, Wilsey. Thank you, man. We'll do it again on Tuesday, hey? Okay, guys. Stay warm. He is Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. As we start to wrap up this hour of Flames Talk, Wes on Twitter at Wes Gilbertson. Our producers this hour, Taylor and Cam. And that is your Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Book your winter detail package today for $349. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, minutes from the Calgary Airport.